You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Before we get to today's podcast, let's tell you about our sponsor, Priority Realty Partners. Are you looking to sell your house and know the accurate price for it? In South Florida, you want to work with a real estate agent that is a professional, trustworthy, and knows the area well. Get a free house price analysis from a real estate agent at Priority Realty Partners. You'll love working with a Priority Realty Partners agent just like our clients do. We're knowledgeable, part of the community, and Miami sports fans just like you. It's a great time to buy or sell in South Florida. Call 954-544-3374 or go to PriorityRealtyPartners.com. Select one of our sales agents for your free house evaluation. That's PriorityRealtyPartners.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome into another edition of our Heat Sixers recap podcast, recapping a Miami Heat loss to the Philadelphia 76ers by a 106 to 102 score in game number four. Then I trail the series by three games to one, heading back to Philadelphia. And Ethan, we'll get into our five reasons. You know what? Let's go ahead and, get and start with our five reasons. Beginning first with kind of you look at the way that this game played out and you kind of ask yourselves, how in the world did the Heat lose this game? When you look at Philadelphia turning the ball over 26 times, there were seven of 31 from three. Joel Embiid was a minus five in the game and was two of 11 from the field. So a pretty negligible impact. And Miami got a decent Hassan Whiteside, Dwayne Wade closing the game pretty well. And then here they are, losers going back 3-1 down and now really up against it to try and win this series. The broader question is, how the hell did this happen? Well, I think it happened uh, because, honestly, I think the pace was too fast for them again. And, you know, I, I was saying that during the first half, even as the Heat were scoring 61 points. And look, this is the second time this series that they've scored at least 60 in the first half. So they haven't had trouble finding offense. But again, I, I thought it was too quick for them. And you see what happened in the second half where they just kind of hit the wall again. They ended up with 41 points in the second half as Philadelphia pulled away, particularly at the start of the fourth quarter. So I just don't know that the Heat are equipped to play that pace for four quarters. And you can say, well, yeah, they are, because this is a relatively deep team, and they can play you know, nine or ten guys, and, they, and Spolster can roll a whole bunch of different guys out there. But, I just, again, I just don't think it fits what they want to do. And see, that's the, the big issue with this team. And, you know, this is the thing that Pat Riley has to look at seriously this offseason. The Heat aren't really fit to play any one style particularly well, right? Like, we talk about sort of mucking it up, but they don't, they're not the kind of team that's going to punish you in the half court, right? They're not like Memphis has been the past few years, or you go to some of those Indiana teams, you know, with the big lineups that they would play. That's not Miami's style either. The Spolster likes to play smaller, but at the same time as you want to play smaller, they don't have enough playmakers to be able to sort of sustain that kind of offensive effort for four quarters. And so it really is a team, you know, without an identity. Like when you go back to the big three Heat teams, and I know those teams are more talented, but you knew what the identity of those teams were. They were an attack defensive team with that defense leading to offense, right? Other Heat teams have had particular identities. This team really doesn't have one. It's just kind of like you throw a bunch of B- minus to B-plus players in the court, and you hope that you get a particular player's best effort 
on that given night. And I thought the Heat played extremely hard today. And I think what it showed you was as hard as they can play, and even with some guys having good games, and I think Whiteside does deserve a mention there when he gives you 13 and 13 and he's a plus six in 26 minutes, even when you get that, it's not enough against a team that for the most part was pretty sloppy during the whole game. And I thought the other stat that it kept coming up and they kept mentioning it on the Fox Sports Sun broadcast, because I do listen to that one, Chris, uh, I guess I, I, that's my, I don't know if that's my heat life or pedigree or what it is, but uh, was, well, I was listening to Fox Sports Sun and, and they kept harping on, on the fact that, you know, even though the Sixers had whatever it was 16 turnovers in the first half, that the points on off turnovers were virtually the same. For the two teams. And so Miami was, was turning over Philadelphia, but they weren't capitalizing on it. And I think ultimately that caught up to them. Yeah, in the end, actually, Philadelphia won that statistic 30-23 to 23 over the course of the game. And by the way, I didn't notice this. It's one of those things where I love looking at box scores after not looking at them over the course of a game because the Heat box score in this game, I'm actually kind of surprised by from a pace point of view. You look at the number on the game, it was 110, which for those that don't have any context of what pace is, fast is like 102 and slow is 96. So this game was played at a lightning quick pace. And neither team was particularly efficient. Actually, both teams were pretty poor from an offensive point of view. But you're right, Ethan. It just seems like in this series, the Heat in particular have really slowed down as the game goes on. And just from an offensive possession-to-possession point of view, and it was kind of like from the second with two minutes to play in the third up until the four-minute mark of the fourth where they just didn't have anything from an offensive point of view that, that allowed them to get going, and you're just going to see that from the Heat. And what you said is absolutely right. Because the Heat don't have the horses, because the Heat don't have an A player, a, a B-plus to A-level player, just a bunch of really solid pieces, they're going to have possessions where they need to be bailed out and there's no one there to bail them out. And so... When you look at the pace in the game, the reason why you want to play it slower is because, yeah, you're going to acknowledge that you're going to have offensive struggles in the game. The problem is, can you lock it down from a defensive point of view or limit the other team's scoring enough? And one way you do that is by trying to slow the game down. I will say, Philadelphia, we talk often about how in the playoffs you can see teams drag it into the mud or slow the pace down. Philly doesn't seem to, to allow anyone to do that. They're trying to go full pace all the time, off rebounds, off of makes, they're running, and that's how they try and play, and it's worked for them because you haven't seen the Heat really be able to get a stranglehold on the way the game is played in this series, save for game two. Yeah, no question about it. And and again, you look at some of the things that happened for the Heat tonight. If you just look at the box score, right? Again, Whiteside, 13-13. and Dragic with his third straight 20-point game gives you 20 with four steals today and, and three assists, did have five turnovers. Dwayne gives you 25 points in 26 minutes off the bench. If you just look at those numbers and then you say, you know, James Johnson gave you 15, 8, and 5. I mean, that's a solid game for him. Josh Richardson, you know, 10, 5, and 7 with 7 steals. I mean, these are big numbers for these guys. Now, we're going to talk about a couple of the no-shows. They got nothing out of Olenek today. They got nothing, again, out of Tyler Johnson. Uh, And I, I just, I don't really understand Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about the decision to keep playing Whiteside. I don't know what Spolster is doing continuing to start Tyler Johnson in this series. Uh, It just doesn't make any sense to me. I know he hit a couple of shots in Game 3, but it's just not working defensively, and he's not giving you enough offensively. 
to justify it. But if you look at all these numbers, you say, okay, and Wayne Ellington even made three threes. So a lot of these guys were effective in their own way today. You scored 102, uh, which is fine on overall, although obviously it trailed off badly in the second half, and it still wasn't enough to beat a team that had 26 turnovers. And so I think when you look at that, you know, this is what we've talked about all year. The Heat, you know, have a lot of nice players, but it's just not the kind of team that's going to break through against a team that just has much more talent than them. And, and you know, the, the Sixers are just better um, and they're, they're top end guys. Yeah, and I think that's something that I think a lot of Heat fans kind of came to the realization with. And it's actually kind of funny because I thought Embiid was pretty poor in the game from an offensive point of view. From the defensive point of view, the thunderous blocks that he had. And I sent you a stat that I saw from ESPN in between games, uh, between games three and four, about how Embiid was a diversion from going in the paint. And I would be curious to see if that held up again in this game. All right, let's move to point number two. And that is asking this question, Ethan. And I'll start with you, obviously, because where else am I going to go? Is this series over? <laughs> well, it is, I would think. Again, I think Miami sort of gave its best effort today in a lot of different ways and came up short at home in an afternoon game, which, as you know, those typically go pretty well for the Heat, particularly if they're on the weekends. Um, when a those, team comes uh, those, in here. those 26 turnovers looked a little bit South Beach fluey, if i got to be honest. The, they did. They did. And, and Embiid and Simmons, what with 15 of them, I, I don't know where they were last night, but when you look at the fact that, again, the Heat got strong performances from a number of different guys at home in a desperation situation against a team that wasn't playing all that well and still lost the game, and now Philadelphia has a chance to advance to the second round, I'll have to look at it. But, I mean, when's the last time the Sixers were in the second round? I guess it would have been that year that they beat Derek Roseless Chicago, right? Like the year that Rose got hurt against the Sixers, I believe it was, in that first-round series. I'm looking at it. And, and the Sixers ended up winning. But I mean, but you're, either way, you're talking about a long time, right? So uh, that place is going to be very energized for this next game. It's going to be very difficult for the Heat. And, and also, you know, let's just be honest here. You know, expecting Dwayne to put two of these games together in a row at this stage is expecting too much. And, you know, we saw, you know, I even said on the last pod after he had a bad game three that I could see him bouncing back in game four, getting a day of rest. He really wasn't that taxed in game three. Well, he was taxed in this game. And so you get a little bit more time because it was an afternoon game. But still, I, you know, I would not expect Dwayne to be putting up, you know, in the 20s again in the next game. And getting to that, one more quick thing on Dwayne. I've said this before. It's great that he can still do this kind of stuff. But the fact that this franchise is still at a point where they need him to do this kind of stuff is that's telling to me. And I, I think that's been something that's been proven out in this series. Like they need him to play well to have a chance in these games. And, you know, he was, you know, the guy carrying them down the stretch. And the same thing was happening that has happened in previous games where, again, it was even on the inbounds. It was, you know, Dragic gave the ball to Wade and ran to the corner. Josh Richardson not really a factor in those a lot of those situations. I mean, they're kind of right back to where they were a couple of years ago. And so, I, you know, again, I, those, besides the point of whether this series is over, but if this series is over in five games, Chris, we may have seen Dwayne play his last home game. It's very possible because I don't know what he's going to decide to do for next season. And you do have a situation where you've got Tyler Johnson, you know, making $19 million next year at two-guard. And then you've got Deion Waiters coming back making $14 million. I don't know if that's a situation Dwayne's going to come back into. So just something to consider here, you know, kind of as you look at, you know, what the consequences of a loss in this series could be. 
The one thing for me that has kind of made me think a little bit on on a bigger picture level, and we get to we can get to this more in the off season, but just the idea that I think NBA teams pay for the regular season, and Dwayne Wade has next to I mean I wouldn't say next to no value in the regular season, but he's just not an important player in the regular season anymore. He'll have a game, but he's not the one that's going to get you to the playoffs. But in the playoffs, I mean, obviously you see in this series that he's turned in two incredible performances today. It was pretty inefficient from him until the end. He was at, I think, 7 for 18 until he scored a couple of baskets late, got to 10 of 22 on the day, 25 points. But he's delivered two really good playoff performances. If I'm the Heat, I'd absolutely bring him back on the premise that I'm getting back to the playoffs. Now, to me, the next question is money, how much money, and, mm-hmm. and, and that conversation, I think, is a really convoluted one because, again, I think teams pay for the most part for regular season performances because if you're saying Tyler Johnson's going to make 19 mil and uh, and Dwayne Wade's going to be on a vet's minimum, that's not going to be reflected in the playoffs. And what Tyler Johnson has not done in this series has, has spoken volumes. And uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and use that to launch into the next thing that we want to get to, which is no-shows. And we've talked a lot mm-hmm. about uh, players in the series, and it's been so much about Whiteside. I thought Whiteside was fine tonight. Had a couple of blocks. Had kind of that six-minute stretch where he looked like old Whiteside again. And maybe that's what he fans want to see more of. But I think it's harder and harder for him. And you saw down the end of the game there when Ben Simmons got the easy dunk that Whiteside was on the elbow and he was standing next to Embiid because he has to respect Embiid and the nature of the modern NBA where you draw everyone away from the basket, Whiteside's not going to be down there to stop Ben Simmons from throwing down a dunk. So I think you saw the way that the NBA has kind of forced changes upon him, but in other contexts, right? So Tyler Johnson, who mentioned his salary for next year and how that's going to be a problem and how you look at the way that he's played in this series, it hasn't been good enough. You have Kelly Olynyk. nine minutes tonight, was in early mm. foul trouble, never made an impact. Justice Winslow, after a really solid game three, only three of nine tonight, still got involved in the fracas, was involved in the play, but didn't really turn in that solid of a performance. Wayne Ellington, three of seven, did hit the three threes, but in the end, not that much production. You just don't see enough offensive production, and you see guys being adjusted, being schemed out of the series, and you just see that you're not getting solid performances from all nine or ten of your rotation guys on a given night. Yeah, look, I thought Justice was fine, to be honest. Uh, You know, again, he was physical. I thought defensively he was pretty good. He had a couple of nice finishes in traffic. I know he finished three of nine, one of three from three, but I thought overall justice is pretty good. The Olenek thing is disappointing because they need what he provides. I mean, and they've needed it all year. Um, Just in terms of him being somebody who can be a shooter or a distributor with the dribble handoffs, he just gives them a lot of flexibility on the floor. Now, part of it was that you mentioned the foul trouble. Part of it was Whiteside was better tonight. Now, I thought Whiteside got better with every stint. Like, I didn't think he was great at the very beginning. I thought his second stint, he was more active. He got really into it, of course, when he got when he got a lob on the break. I mean, that'll certainly do it for him. And I thought they got okay minutes at times from Bam. I mean, Bam had the one dunk that people remember from Dwayne. You know, he did give him five rebounds in 16 minutes. So he, he was relatively active. But to get nothing at all from Olenek, when he has been a really important player for them this season, was, as I said, disappointing. But the Tyler Johnson thing, look, he did have 10 points in Game 3. But you're looking at his minute distribution for this series. He's at 18, 14, 17, and 13. He's basically just playing the two stints. But I just don't understand having him in the starting lineup at this point instead of, say, even having a Rodney Magruder. Because at least with Magruder, you're going to get that physicality 
on defense from the very start of the I game. Think, I and think, look, and, and I've been objecting to this all along, having James Johnson, Hassan Whiteside, and Justice Winslow on the floor at the same time, particularly to start. That's not mm-hmm. enough spacing, but at this point, that's your best combination of five in terms, if, if you're insisting on starting Whiteside, I'm not sure he's in your best combination of five, but Justice Winslow has been one of the five best players, one of the two yes. best players for the Heat in this series. He should start and play heavy minutes, 36, 38 minutes. Well, I think they may go to that. I think Eric may go to that. We have seen when they're sort of backed into a corner, when he's backed into a corner, that he will adjust the lineup. I just don't know what the justification for playing Tyler as a starter in this series is. And I respect what Tyler has made of his career, and he's had you know good moments for the Heat. And look, he shot 47% in the series. So it's not like he's been a total disaster in that regard. He's just not giving you enough. And defensively, he's just getting lost so often, so you know, you say I, Winslow. I don't, understand. I, I don't understand how that happens. How does that happen right. for Tyler Johnson, who's been in the Heat system, and I don't view to be a, a minus defender. I view him to be no. a pretty good defender for a series that's been so perimeter oriented. Is it just difficult for him and Dragic to play in a series with so much size? And the size has been the thing that's hurt him the most because it just seems like maybe the Heat are running out of places to hide players. And mm-hmm. if you're putting Tyler Johnson on Dario Saric, that's just an obvious mismatch. Well, this all goes back to what we've talked about. I mean, why the Sixers are going to be such a ridiculous threat over the next few years. And people are going to hate the Sixers. They're going to absolutely hate the Sixers. They're going to hate them for so many reasons. They're going to hate them for the way they went about this whole process. They're going to hate them for the fact that they're going to be really, really good, which you always get a lot of hatred when that happens. And they're going to hate them because they're obnoxious. I mean, that's <laughs> that's part of this, too. I mean, starting with Embiid and, and Simmons – you know, I put on Twitter, you know, that Simmons doesn't want any part of James Johnson. He wasn't making eye contact with James Johnson. I mean, if, if there's anybody in the league you don't go after, it is James Johnson. I mean, I don't even think Udonis Haslam would have gone after James Johnson if they got into it on the court. So the fact is that whether you find Simmons arrogant or whether you find Embiid obnoxious, they're going to be in the mix for finals unless they have major injuries for the next five, six, seven years. And so you got to kind of get used to this. And one of the problems with dealing with Philadelphia is they have a six foot 10 point guard and that screws up all the matchups. So it's just, it makes it almost impossible to sort of figure out who's going to guard who and, and what the matchup is going to be. And I just, again, I don't know what you're trying to get out of someone with Tyler Johnson's skill set in the series. I mean, you mentioned Winslow, you know, I had suggested that you hated the idea of having so many non-spacers out there, which is why I would say, and I know he's rusty, but if you're going to play a guy short minutes, I would go with Magruder over Tyler Johnson because we have seen Rodney can make a spot up three, and he's going to give you physicality. Like you, you don't have any question about that. He's going to be in the right place defensively. If you're going to continue to start Whiteside and go with that group and continue to start James Johnson, I would put Magruder out there for the first six minutes of each half and before you go to Dwayne. Because it's clear Eric's going to go down swinging with Dwayne here at the end. So give Dwayne and Ellington the backup two-guard minutes or whatever with Magruder playing 12. I would kind of X Tyler out of the rotation at this point, again, unless they advance the next round and got a better matchup. Yeah, but at this point, I mean, if we're saying that the Sixers are a difficult matchup because – they don't have a point guard. They don't have Smalls on the floor except for J.J. Redick. Then why are you beholden to the idea of playing a two-guard, right? Why are you beholden? Mm. I mean, unless maybe you match up Tyler's minutes from when Bellinelli is on the floor, but they're insisting on starting a two-guard. Why Why not Winslow? Because to me, and look, I've made the spacing argument, and I texted you that I find Winslow to be really difficult to evaluate because he's been brilliant in the series, but there are times where it is the context of, 
you had a first-round pick, 10th overall, and you kind of wanted him to be something of a star, right? You want him to be mm-hmm. that star-level player that, that he could build off going to the future, and he's not. And so I'm going to find whatever his next contract to be really interesting because how do you value him properly? But in this series, when they're not playing with a bunch of small players, it's TJ McConnell, it's Marco Bellinelli, and it's J.J. Redick. Those are really the only small players, and you have to play Goran Dragic 36 minutes. Why not just match up like for like? If they're going to play, if they're going to play Covington at the two, why are you playing Tyler Johnson at the two? It doesn't make sense. So I think it's okay for in the context of this series because you're not you're not saying for the rest of an NBA season, for the rest of the playoffs, this is who we're going to be. The whole point of having depth is that you can adjust, that you can throw out, that you can respond to the different looks. And so I think that they make a change. And for me, it would be Winslow, but we'll just see going forward. All right, let's move to point four now. And that would be the Heat's lack of offensive firepower. And we mentioned the pace, and we mentioned how that's going to end up bearing out over the course of this series. And I think it has, because TNT, I I saw you mentioned you were watching the Fox Sports Zone. I was watching the TNT coverage today. And TNT highlighted that in every Heat loss... And even in the Sixers' loss, they had a bad quarter. But in the- Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Keats uh-huh. losses, they had a quarter in each of the games where they scored less than 20 points and were outscored by more than double digits in the quarter. Now, today, that didn't bear out because they scored 19 in the fourth, but Philly only had 27. But you've just seen in every game that they go through the lulls. They go through the stretches Uh where they just don't have enough from an offensive point of view. I want to get your diagnosis on what you think that issue is. Is it just a a lack of talent and they just don't have enough quality players? For me, I would actually point to this. I would say the Heat don't have enough passing. And that's going to sound crazy because I think a lot of people don't think they have enough scoring and they played a team-oriented game. But one of the problems with Whiteside is you saw James Johnson unable to deliver that lob to him earlier in the game. That would have been an easy dunk. He throws it behind him, and instead it's a turnover going the other way. I think when you look at Goran Dragic not really being at the upper echelon of passing, I just don't think they have enough playmaking, ball handling, and distribution, seeing that pass. And the reason why I sort of thought of this observation is because Dwayne Wade has that. Dwayne Wade Mm -hmm. has that ability to find the right pass, find the right play, and I know down the stretch of games, down the fourth, he's going to be looking for his own shot. But when he's looking to distribute, he sees the game in a way that a high-end point guard would, an experienced point guard would. And I think that's just what the Heat don't have, is that know-how, that ability to play the floor and play the game to take what the defense is giving you and find the right pass. I just don't think the Heat have enough of it. Well, they do have, like you said, they have ball handlers, right? Like they have, like James Johnson is a capable ball handler if used correctly. We saw that last year. Um, Justice Winslow has some capability as a ball handler, even though he can be at times a little bit turnover prone. I mean, Josh Richardson was a guy who they were trying to turn into a point guard at one stage. Same with Tyler Johnson. So it's not like they don't have ball handlers, but I do agree with you in terms of innate court vision they don't have a lot of guys. And the reality is, I love Goran Dragic as a player. He's really a one and a half, right? He's not, he's not a Chris Paul point guard, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you go back to how Goran kind of made his name, 
as a backup uh, when he was in, in Phoenix, you know, it was coming off the bench uh, and occasionally playing with Nash, right? Like they did that on, on occasion. So I don't know that they have a traditional point in that sense, and they don't have a backup point. Dwayne Wade is basically their backup point guard. They, they have not. Winslow because, sometimes is. Right. Well, because they never really were able to develop Tyler Johnson or Josh Richardson into that because that was the original plan with both of them. So I do think they're missing a little of it. I think that's also why you see it in a night where or day that Olenek is not out there because I do think he has, for a big, he has some of that vision. And when he's only playing nine minutes, it's noticeable and they can go through some of those stretches. But yeah, look, we got spoiled, right? Because you had for a four-year period, two guys with two of the highest basketball IQs in the history of the game, you know, not just currently, but in the history of the game, LeBron and Dwayne, and they saw everything. And now you have a team that doesn't have those kind of players. And so it didn't matter the fact that your point guard was a guy in Mario Chalmers who was essentially a spot-up shooter and defender. He didn't need to have elite court vision because you had two other guys who did. And you also had a big in Chris Bosh who was arguably the most versatile big of his era, right? So you're talking about... Three guys where not only were they skilled in so many other ways and physically dominant in some ways, at least in LeBron's case, but they had this incredible basketball IQ where they could see the entire court and know where to, what was going to happen two steps ahead. This team does not have that. The other thing it doesn't have is a clear pecking order. And I think that plays into this too, Chris, because look, I mean, again, I keep coming back to this. It just fell back to Dwayne. Like Dwayne came back at age 36 after a year in Chicago where he ceded that role to Jimmy Butler, right? Willingly. Okay. That he kept saying, Jimmy, this is Jimmy's team. This is Jimmy's team. He goes to Cleveland three games into the season. He moves to the bench for J.R. Smith of all people to lead their bench unit. And then he's a guy who Cleveland basically views as superfluous for what they're trying to do this season. Like, we made a big deal out of the Wade trade here in Miami, but in Cleveland, that was like a footnote, right? I mean, the big deal was they were getting rid of Isaiah, okay? And whatever they got back for Isaiah was positive, and, and it was about the new guys coming in. And, but he and, comes back- and, by, and by the way, Brian Windhorst has reported that the reason why they traded him is because they told him he wasn't going to play anymore, and they asked Correct. him, do you want to go to Miami? I mean, that's right. that, that, that's how this went down. So I was talking to somebody about this today, that the Heat are basically relying on somebody that two teams have decided. Chicago bought him out. Now, that's mm-hmm. in part because they're tanking. but And then Cleveland traded him for a second-round pick that won't convey six years from now because they didn't want him anymore. And so mm-hmm. that's who the Heat are relying on. And as much as at times it's worked in this series, it is kind of crazy, like, you, like you're saying, that the Heat are still doing it. Still doing it, and at age 36. And look, I don't blame them for doing it, because look what Dwayne did today, right? Yeah, look what he did in so, game two. And also look at the other options. But that's the problem. I See, that's why this is positive-negative. I'm glad that Dwayne has given Heat fans these moments this year because it's made sort of an otherwise, let's be honest, nondescript era of Heat basketball, this little period here, right, where they signed a bunch of guys who were journeymen to add to some young players they had and then a guy in Whiteside that they paid all that money. And they put this thing together, and it caught fire in the second half of last season. But to be honest, a lot of people had stopped paying attention at 11 and 30, okay? And so without bringing Dwayne back, what was this little period of Heat basketball going to be known for? The Whiteside contract, the 
development of Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow. I mean, it's not a lot to sort of hold on to. So Dwayne, you know, in some ways has made this season a lot more memorable than it otherwise would have been. Okay. Regardless of what his net rating was in the 19 games or whatever that he played in the regular season since he came back, you know, he gave them the moment against Philadelphia with the 27 points in the regular season in the last second shot. And he gave them that great, you know, the great moment in game two or the great sequence in game two of this series. And he gave them a little bit of a taste at home in game four of what he was. And, and, and so and I think way, that's and, good. And, and credit to the Sixers for basically having a response every time, creating an open look with Redick, creating an open mm-hmm. look with Simmons to kind of punch back when in that building, when Dwayne Wade does something that momentous, it can usually be followed by a stop and it's snowballing, but Philly had a response every time. They did. And, you know, so so this game won't be remembered the way that it would have been, obviously, if Dwayne had pulled it out. But that's all the positive, right? That Dwayne has been able to provide this entertainment, excitement here. And, and look, they got the jersey sales up. Uh, all, all that's good, okay? They rebuilt their brand in large degree. And they also recovered from what was kind of an ugly stretch where every big three superstar was angry at them, right, after they left. Yeah. And they patched things up with Dwayne. They've patched things up with Bosch. Depending on who you believe, they patch things up to a certain degree with LeBron to at least the point that I think that ultimately you're going to be retiring his jersey and, and there's going to be a better feeling about that. And they even retired Shaq's jersey last year. So they've, they've made peace with you know, all of this, this history that they've had. And all of that's good, too, because it helps build the brand. But the one negative of all of this is Guy comes back two years later, not quite the same player that he was when he left. Like you said, Chicago decided to go a different direction. Cleveland decided they really didn't need him anymore, even though they thought that they were competing for a championship or at least trying to compete for a championship. And even though he's LeBron's best friend, they still decided to give him away for essentially nothing. He comes back here, and he's still the guy you're relying on in the last five minutes of a game. It's great for him. It speaks incredibly highly of him. I don't know if there's too many other guys. I mean, Allen Iverson was two years out of the NBA when he was age 36, okay? There aren't a lot of guys who played the position the way that Dwayne's played the position who were still this effective at that age. It's incredible, especially when you look at the fact that during the Big Three era, which we're talking about four-plus years ago, people were wondering how much longer Dwayne was going to play because he couldn't play on back-to-backs anymore. So this is incredible what he's doing, but it also is really problematic for the Heat franchise because – this is supposed to be Whiteside now. This is supposed to be Richardson now. This is supposed to be, you know, I, Winslow's sort of growing into it a little bit. Those guys are supposed to be in a position to take the reins, and what's happening at the end of these games is just, okay, Dwayne, save us. I don't know that that's a great look for the franchise going forward. All right, let's close now with just sort of a random amalgam of observations on the game, just sort of things that we've noticed over the course of this series and in Game 4. I want to start with just how chippy the games have become. Mm. And I think the Heat fans have now gotten to the point, like they got to with the Celtics and with the Pacers. And obviously it's not the same because you're not competing for a championship, right? They're not in the way of a championship. But you hate these guys. And Joel Embiid was you know, still signaling to the crowd. He loved that. Ben Simmons getting into the scrap. Justin Anderson has inexplicably become the subject of Heat fan ire. These two teams properly hate each other. Oh, yeah. There's no question. And it's happened quickly, Chris. Like, really, it's over one season. There was no reason to hate each other before this year, right? The Sixers weren't any good. So there wasn't really any concern about how you felt about them. And then you play four competitive games this year. But a lot of it is just that, you know, Embiid is openly obnoxious and Simmons is arrogant. And so you're going to have a little bit of that. And then you add to that the fact that the Heat guys are a bunch of, for the most part, journeymen 
who have been trying to prove themselves their entire careers. And the Sixers, it's, it's kind of an entitled thing a little bit. Like, I mean, what have Embiid and Simmons done at this stage of their careers? I know they've put up great numbers, but they have not even been in the playoffs until now. And so I, I think that there is a little bit of that edge. I think it added, what added to it also was Simmons not getting an all-star berth this year, Dragic getting one of those. I think that played into it a little bit too. And obviously the Embiid-Whiteside stuff, that started in the preseason. So, uh, you know, as I said earlier, what we're looking at, Chris, is I think a team in Philadelphia that the NBA is going to really like because the world is going to hate them. And that's the best combination, particularly as you're moving away from the LeBron era here a little bit, and we'll see where LeBron ends up. If LeBron ends up in Philadelphia, Chris, which we've talked about, we've been talking about on the pod for three months now, imagine what that's going to be like when you've already developed these personalities in Embiid and Simmons I mean, what is the country going to think of that team? Because you can say whatever you want about what the Heatles went through with LeBron, but Dwayne and Chris Bosh were, were well-liked players. But when we used to go, you know, you know, even after LeBron left in 2014, when I would go on the road with the Heat, every building we went into with Dwayne, he got cheered. So, you know, and at, at one point, Dwayne had the, big, uh, the hottest-selling jersey in the NBA. So they were not hated players. Embiid and Simmons have a chance to be that, just because Embiid's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way with the jokes and all that, even though I, I think he's kind of funny, but he's going to rub people the wrong way. And also, even today... He's, he's going he to he's, he's rub opponents the wrong way. Yes. I feel like the neutral or someone that just follows him on social media that helps create the narrative machine, I think people love that stuff. But I think when you go against him, it's like, oh, God, this guy. And he's motioning the crowd and every. And on top of that, too, and I think a, a lot of the fans have pointed this out, and it's going to be one of my other observations, but it gets a pretty friendly whistle, too. I think uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the referees, and you, they, they showed on the TNT where he's fifth in the league in free throw attempts per game. I think he gets the benefit of some foul calls that I think will probably draw the ire from opposing fans. Yeah, I think that will happen. I, I think also today, I don't think it was a dirty move on his part, but. He throws his body around a little bit, too, and, and sometimes that's going to be perceived as dirty. And you had that situation with Josh Richardson today where Josh hurt the shoulder. And so I, I could see some of that stuff happening with him, too. And Simmons, you know, look, I admire his confidence. Uh, you're talking about a guy who in his, you know, the one year in LSU didn't really show himself all that well during that season as sort of being the best team guy during that year. You know, obviously he, he plays a selfless style, so I think that will endear him to certain people. He's like LeBron and Magic a little bit in that way, but he doesn't play with Magic's joy, right? So I don't know how people are going to perceive him. And then, you know, making a comment like about Donovan Mitchell, like that no other rookies in the league have impressed him or he hasn't noticed any other rookies, that part of his personality is only going to come through more as he gets bigger. And Which, as he has more success, too. And also, Chris, he's a clutch guy, and we've seen, uh, you know, LeBron is clearly clutch pumping agency, him up. Clutch the agency, not clutch good at the end of games. Correct, correct. Well, he's, he may be that too, but yeah, yeah clutch, with a, clutch with a K, LeBron's agency with Rich Paul, and look, they're going to they're gonna make sure he's everywhere, and LeBron's going to make sure he's everywhere, and he's already calling him Young King and all that, and for people who don't like LeBron, and we know that there is a segment of the population that does not, no matter what he does off the court to help kids and all that, they're going to resent Simmons for his association with LeBron, especially if they play together, which, again, may be a possibility. We'll see what LeBron decides to do, what happens with this Indiana series. But all of those things come into play. So they're going to be the team that's put up there that is disliked. And a lot of people don't like Philadelphia anyway, period, right? So you add 
all of that together, the NBA has something, I think, that uh, we're going to be looking at for the next five, six, seven years. And beyond that, Chris, and I, this is going to be one of my observations, the Sixers are doing this. They're not even playing the number one overall pick in this series. Yeah, um, yeah they, you know, Mark, they, they prefer TJ McConnell in this game. Yeah, Markel Fultz, who has played limited minutes in the last couple games, I don't believe, he didn't even get in at all today, right? No, he, was, no, no, he did not. DMP did, did not play at all. They they played 10 guys, and, and he did not play. Uh, 10 guys, at least nine minutes. So they basically replaced the number one overall pick in the rotation with Justin Anderson. I and mean, as you mentioned, McConnell played nine minutes today. So he played the minutes that uh, that Simmons didn't get because Simmons played 39. So, you know, just imagine if Fultz, and we did see some flashes at the end of the season, if Fultz becomes what he was projected to be, you see what Philadelphia has going right now. Yeah, and I think going forward, particularly with Cleveland down 2-1 in Indiana, I still think they'll win that series just because they're Cleveland, just because it's LeBron, just because it's round one. I mean, you look at the numbers. I saw ESPN Stats and Info has Indiana as an 85% chance to win the series. They've been on equal footing in the series, and, and Oladipo and that team does not appear afraid of LeBron, and they probably think that they're better. So that'll be a great series. Boston hurt. Toronto, I think, will probably end up being the best competition to Philly at this point, but well and with a chance to get all the way and go into the conference finals and then eventually into the NBA finals even. So I think they've they've gotten a real thing going. I just want to very quickly address before we go, Ethan, the officiating in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am sick and tired of every time I log on to Twitter, and I know Twitter can be a self-selecting sample, but it's always, oh, what about that call? What about this? And what about that? And, you know, Dragic got called for the flying knee, but, you know, someone on the Sixers didn't. And what about this moving screen? And what about this goaltend? And what about... Just if you think that the officiating is deciding the game, if you think that the officiating is favored to one direction and not the other, I just, like... Why even watch basketball? Is the reason why you watch basketball to analyze the application of the rules? I'm just so honest to God bored with how often people want to talk about the officiating. It is a nothing part of the game to me. I don't watch the basketball and think, oh, what about that call? What about this call? Like, maybe if it's blatantly obvious and they run a replay angle of it afterwards, they'll be like, okay, that was a miss. But just, I don't understand why experience sports that way. You're basically, you're talking about rules. Rules are what's interesting to you about this well that's not going to change though chris you know i mean it's gotten worse every year and the and the look the officiating not that any of us is really an expert on this but if you communicate with players about this they'll tell you that the officiating has gotten worse over the years because so many veteran officials have retired people that you know we but, would but complain we, about we all hated the time. those guys too we, Correct. Ha- we no. hated Joey Crawford, Joey too. Joey Crawford's the first name that's going to come up. But you've also had some guys like Danny Crawford, others. I mean, people who were considered to be closer to the top of the profession, even if, like you say, Joey Crawford would make it all about himself a lot on the court. Joey Crawford happens to be like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet off the court. But on the court, it was like a spectacle every time he was officiating. They were there to see him. I mean, the only guy who could get into it with Tim Duncan, of all people. Like, yeah. that's, I mean, that was Joey Crawford. But, uh, yeah, look, this this happens during the playoffs, people look for excuses. I mean, I know for certain that if the two-minute report comes out tomorrow, which it will, and they say that that was a moving screen on Embiid that freed up, was a freed up Redick, yeah. right, for the three, that Heat fans are going to blow a gasket because I do think it's going to show that because Embiid moved. Um, there's no question about that. But there were a lot of sequences earlier in the game where Heat players were moving and it didn't get called. So I've long had an issue with kind of the way things the approach to officiating, because I feel like it's typically slanted towards the stars and towards the home teams, because again, officials are human. And so they just make assumptions in a lot of cases. And the problem with that is that you're giving an advantage 
to the two parties that don't need an advantage, right? The stars and the home teams. But that is the way that it's been in the NBA forever. Now, today it did not favor the home team in terms of the free throw attempts. I think Philly ended up with 35, and the Heat ended up with 25. The fouls were 32 on Miami, 25 on Philly. And I know what Heat fans are going to say is that at one point, I don't know what it finished at, but at one point the Heat had 20 more points in the paint than Philly had. So, again, Heat fans are going to get upset about the fact that they were attacking and still didn't get the calls. But what I would say to Heat fans is, well, when you get to the line, you got to make them. And the Heat today were 13 of 25 from the line. And that includes Dwayne, who did miss the big one late, but Dwayne going five of six. So the rest of the roster was eight of 17 from the line. That's a one of four from Dragic, one of three from Whiteside, one of two from Richardson, and O of two each from Winslow and Adebayo. So it's tough to complain too much about the officiating when the opportunities you do get, you don't convert. Yeah, and I think that's really been a theme throughout the series. Heat right now, 14th best of the teams that have played in the playoffs of the 16 in free throw percentage at 69%. So it just hasn't been good enough. By the way, points in the paint finished 58-44 to Mm. Miami. So yeah, and look... To me, the thing about the officiating is in that game and in this series, they can call fouls every single time down the floor. So mm-hmm. it, it really is just – it's a total crapshoot of what they're going to call and what they see, and I'm just – I'm not going to concern myself with it. That is my <laughs> only point. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. We'll be back on after Game 5. Could be the last of these playoff recap podcasts. Heat going back to Philly down 3-1. So we'll see later on what ends up happening in that one and what we'll be talking about. And we'll start to get into the off-season topics that I think will be really interesting. Or we're talking about it being 3-2, coming back to Miami. So still plenty of things to talk about as it relates to the Heat and the Sixers in the playoffs. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Subscribe to the other podcasts in our network, Miami Heat Beat, three yards per carry ahead of the NFL Draft. Or the Balls Catch, which, if you were following them on Twitter today, had a giveaway for Heat Sixers Game 4 tickets. So definitely follow them on Twitter and subscribe to their podcast as well. Thanks to our sponsor, Priority Realty Partners. That'll do it for this edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.